Hi, my name is Wendy Strobelgauer. I uh, have been here at the Yang Chan Institute for about 12 years, and I'm a program director for most of the employer-related programs. So um, currently I run an ADA center. I have another grant called Diversity Partners that focuses on partnerships between human service providers, employment specialists, and um, employers. And then I also uh, do a lot of the fee-for-service products that we sell to employers. Okay, so that's a fairly big portfolio for the sound of things. So can you, why don't we start with the ADA, can you explain what that is? Sure, the ADA is a non-discrimination law that protects people with disabilities here in the States from discrimination. Um, it is, uh, it covers things like non-discrimination in employment, in state and local governments and in community participation. Um, it is a complaint-based law, so uh, the only time it's enforced is when someone files a complaint against someone who has um, discriminated against them. Right, so the ADA center itself that you run, is that what it does or is yep. it, it does it do have other purposes other than looking at disputes or complaints? We don't do disputes and complaints at all. We do training, education, and referral. Okay, so, so, so this sits then again with the other program you run, so the focus is on education and, and developing employers and consultants, etc. Yeah, my role here is primarily based on translating knowledge that we have from research, um, best practices to the community so it can be adopted and, and the lives of people with disabilities are actually improved. Um, so the ADA Center, uh, I have um, experts on my team who um, know about facility access and what is the building codes require for access for people with disabilities. I have people who specialize in web accessibility. I have people who know about um, voting access and state and local government access. Um, so really the team, and that's why I have so many projects because I don't do any of the work. <laughs> Um, the team really does a lot of that outreach on different topics. Right. Um, I mostly, when I'm doing the work, I focus on Title I stuff, okay. employment stuff. So, in terms of the spread of that work, is it simply based here in New York or has it got a, a further reach than that? Well, the, there's 10 ADA centers around the country. My center is the Northeast Center. It covers New York, New Jersey, Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Right, so that's kind of north, but also a fair bit of south. Well, right, so um, the population center of New York and New Jersey are so big that uh, they needed to balance it out with some smaller places. So right. we're the only, we're, no, no, because the California center also has territories because of the big population centers in, in California. So yeah, we it's difficult for us to do regional events. Right, because Puerto Rico is the other extreme, I yes, guess. Yes, yeah, it's off the coast of Florida. Right. <laughs> but a lot of the centers will have six or eight states, okay. big states, but they just don't have the, the huge population that we have. Right. Tell me about the, the other program, which I think you said was inclusion. The Diversity Partners yeah. Program. So that is a federal grant that um, we've had for the past five years. And we developed an online curriculum um, to enhance the partnerships and, and meaningful relationships between uh, employment service providers. And that includes anyone who does placement for people with disabilities. It could be disability service providers, workforce development, anyone who's doing that work of matching people with disabilities to jobs in the community. Um, what we found was uh, a lot of times the employment service professionals are on a different page than the employers are. Mm 
Right. Um, and the employment service professionals often want to talk about their work and what they do and their effort to place one or two individuals at a time where employers are looking for pipeline and they want people who can do the work and so just helping them to make that connection of how to talk to each other um, to, to clarify expectations and to build that bridge so that more people can cross that bridge. Right. Because obviously that's one of, the, one of the deficits we see globally is that we have employment consultants and their focus is obviously simply placement whereas as an employer I don't care about what you're doing. What I care about is I've got a vacancy, I need it filled by somebody, so can, can you help me? Right, right, and, and placement, when we talk to employers, they're like, I don't, want, I don't want anybody placed here. That's a very clinical term. And so even the language that we use and they use is so different. They want employees, they want good employees. And it's our job as providers to teach them that people with disabilities are those people. And, and how they can kind of overcome some of the assumptions that they make, not only in the leadership, but also in the manager level, in the coworker level. Um, and when we can build that bridge and start feeding that need to have labor source in a way that's, that's like, this is a great person who's gonna do great work. Oh yeah, they also happen to have a disability and here's some ways that you can manage this in your workplace if you need to. Right, because this, re this really is, is, if you think about it, as an employer, the disability is irrelevant. It's, it's do you have a capable employee that can do the job? Yes. And of course our role as consultants is to say, yes, we have a person, and these are the accommodations that would make that person capable. Yeah. So there's, there's kind of two different languages going on. What would you say would be, I guess, the biggest barrier that you come across? Um, I think a lot of the barrier lies in the connection point. Um, I was a job coach, you know, 20 years ago now, and I was taught to go in and, and tell people, this is what I do, this is my service. I place people with disabilities in jobs. And, and I'm not giving at that point a message that employers wanna hear. So instead of saying I place people in jobs, I'm saying I have qualified candidates who are looking for work in the community. Right. You know, it's, a, it's just a different approach. And once you make that connection and you start building that trust, and that means when somebody calls you, you call them back, regardless of whether or not you have someone you can immediately put with them. You connect them to other services in your community if you don't have that the resources available. Sometimes we get so focused on our needs to make placement and to, to meet the goals of our agency that we forget that without that partner where we've served them and helped them get what they need, they won't keep calling us. They will stop calling eventually if you don't, if you don't help. And so it's really that mutual, mutually beneficial relationship that you have to foster and, and doing that on a continual basis, even if there's not an immediate outcome for you. Right. And that, that's interesting because in my, my thesis work, the, the number one factor that drives employment is the, the relationship mm -hmm. underpinned by trust. Yes. And, you know, when I look at the work that I've done and I look at the work that I've built my work on, which, you know, you look at someone like Rich Luking's work, who is based around mutuality and reciprocity. Yep. Yep. All of these things come back to that one thing, isn't it? It's yeah. just, have we built a relationship and is it a trusting relationship? Yeah, it really is. And, and you know, employment service professionals aren't given that training and they're not given the support and very often that is not what they get paid for. And so um, 
no one says here's the opportunity cost that we have to do before we can do all these placements but if you do invest that time in the relationship building up front you are going to get better outcomes and you are going to make more money in the end right yeah and you you said investment and it, it's interesting that, that a lot of organizations they take the view that their staff are a cost and training the staff is something we don't do that because you know that costs money and we're not in the business of spending money yeah. yet it's obvious that staff require a particular skill set it's not inherent in people and it's not something you can just instantly create no it needs to be taught and it needs to be invested in especially at the rates that we pay disability service providers staff especially um, these are people who've not done this work before and so it's a totally foreign concept and I think sometimes even a difference can be made in onboarding if you tell people your job is to get people with disabilities jobs then their job is placement, right? right? That's what they should do. But if you tell them your job is to build relationships with employers so that we can help people with disabilities find their way to employment, then their job is to develop relationships with employers so more people get jobs. It's, it's, a, it's a tweak in the language, but it really makes a difference in, in the work that people do. Um, part of the Diversity Partners curriculum actually includes a leadership toolkit that is designed for organizations to have that conversation, um, to make changes in the way that they onboard, the way that they train people, the information that's shared in their marketing materials, yeah. so that they can start thinking differently about it. It's yeah. almost over though. We, we, uh, we actually closed the program in September of 2019. Right. So, um, so, so is there a replacement? There's there's not a replacement. We're going to um, make it available as a fee-for-service program so mm -hmm. that we can maintain it, um, primarily targeting states yeah. and uh, the Workforce Innovation and Improvement Act right. um, has created the need for partnerships between workforce development agencies, VR agencies, schools. And there's really a wonderful opportunity right now for... Um, disability service providers to bring their expertise in working with people with disabilities, the workforce development system's expertise in working with employers and building those relationships based on pipeline, and the school systems to get the um, kids who are coming out of school to get them opportunities that lead to those higher level skilled jobs. The workforce development system owns a lot of the middle skills training programs. Right that people with disabilities are traditionally denied access to. So it's a really great opportunity to kind of merge all that together and work together to create a true um, path to employment for people with disabilities. You said skills, and one of the interesting discussions that often goes on, and certainly one of the things that, that I'm trying to remind people of is that it shouldn't be about qualifications, it should be about skills, because employers look for skills. Mm -hmm. And despite the fact that everybody seems to focus on you've got to have a resume and you've got to have all these certificates, yet that's not what people are employing. They're employing skills. Increasingly that's true. There was a survey that was just done by Manpower that said about a third of employers are looking to non-traditional sources to recruit. But others are uh, reducing the qualification standards that they have for their jobs. I believe Accenture just um, took away the requirement to have a college degree right. for people who come into their workforce. Because the college degree doesn't do anything for you. It doesn't train you for a job, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so it really, if, where you can find that wiggle room in, in bringing someone who has an interest 
a talent for uh, a skill in a particular area to an employer and saying, train me. Yeah, that goes back to that idea that, you know, people have got to be interested in what you do mm -hmm. before they can be a good employee. Ain't that the truth. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, we, the qualifications thing for me, because being here in America, one of the things I've noticed is that just about every Uber driver has a college degree. And it just seems that we've reached a point where where the madness of college degrees is, right. has replaced the, the common sense of, can you actually do the work, yeah. the skills to do it? Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I really hope that more apprenticeship programs, more training programs, more mentorship programs are open to people with disabilities. And part of the work we've done in Diversity Partners is really work with workforce development to say, here's what a reasonable accommodation looks like in your setting for training. Here's how you modify your policy or practice so more people with disabilities can participate because there really is so many good paths to good middle skills employment. So where you can make good money um, with a certificate or with a training program or with an apprenticeship um, that, that's been denied for way too long for people. Right. And you said, I think, a third program? Um, the, the, which one? Oh, that's my fee-for-service stuff. Right. Yeah. So that, those, we have this uh, program called the Just-in-Time Toolkit. And we have had one for managers for years now, and we sell that to mostly large Fortune 500 companies. Um, it's customized to their policies and practice. So it says, um, here's what a reasonable accommodation is, here's why it's important, here's what, how you recognize a request, and here's where you go in your company if you need to support someone who asks for one. Right. Um, and we're currently working on an employee toolkit. We're piloting it with a pharmaceutical company. Um, to talk about here's what it looks like when you have coworkers who have disabilities and here's how you know when it's time for you to ask for an accommodation and here's how you ask and here's who you ask. That will also be customized to um, policies and practices within organizations. Right. Um, I'm sure you know that Section 503 of the Rehab Act has created this drive towards self-identification yeah. and, yeah. and a lot of that has to do with safety. Right, so I will not tell my employer I have a disability because they might do something that holds me back in my career. Um, and that happens a great deal, more than we want to admit. So a lot of these big organizations are, work, are working on how do I make it safe for people? How do I make disability part of our culture? Right. And so that's the employee toolkit is designed to help with that. Okay, so it's a really interesting portfolio of, of projects. Um, and obviously it has significant benefit because you're covering a fair part of the U.S. with it. Um, well, thank you very much. That's been really interesting. I know it's fascinating stuff that you do here. Thank you, Peter.